This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already should know. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, Season 7, Episode 21. Welcome back to another episode. Thanks for joining us. I'm John DiCarlo. We've got another full house again, Kyle Gauss, Dante Colonelli, Sam Cohn, and Javon Edmonds. What's going on, guys? Cold. Well, it's not as cold today, but this week was cold. Makes, one of those weeks that makes you question why you choose to live here. Like, I can live I, anywhere. I work remote. Why do I live here? It's a good question. I, I thought the same thing when I walked out of my house. It's like two weeks ago, I was in South Florida, and now I'm here. I'm sitting in an office with a mini space heater. Like you guys, you could have very easily chosen to just go to some like shitty Florida school. Like that would have definitely been a possibility. You could have gone there and then you'd be like 78 degrees all the time. You'd be loving it. Kyle, Granted, if, you, like, if you could live somewhere else, where would you live? Like, Hawaii. Somewhere. I would live in Hawaii. I, I worked with a girl in high school that goes to, uh, I think, Tampa. And when the Bucks won the Super Bowl, the parade was like on her campus on the on the beach i will tell you i have zero interest in tampa bay jacksonville any state like any city like that if i'm gonna go florida i'm going like florida i'm going like spitting distance to the caribbean and the keys like florida i'm not doing northern florida only a bay i can get a bay here i can get i can be in a bay in an hour and 10 minutes i can't be at south beach in an hour and 10 minutes actually jacksonville Jacksonville is uh how would you describe jacksonville dante was it like northern or southern how would you describe jacksonville john how would i describe jacksonville uh coach what's that never mind (laughs) i'm missing i'm missing something i'll text you also you keep kind of chopping out a little bit i don't know really i am with kyle i am not a fan of north florida there florida for me is divided into two states i I'm a big supporter of the southern part of that state. Can we recognize that there are other warm places other than Florida? Yeah, yeah. I started off with Hawaii. Hawaii's gorgeous, yes. Yeah. Jacksonville, ugh, no. Is it warm in Carolina all year round? Carolina's fine. Carolina's a little, like, parts of Carolina are a little too, like, south. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Has Sam, had Sam Newman seen snow? Like in his life, like his family, Carolina is what I'm asking. It does right? so as as a you know a Georgian, I can tell you uh, when they get snow, it's just the entire state shut down when they get snow because it's once every like four years they don't have the plow, they don't have the salt infrastructure. Yeah, my brother did his master's at UT Austin, and when they got like a quarter of an inch of snow and a little bit of ice, like they shut down for. Did he fly to Cancun during that time? Uh, no, he did not. Well, well, Ted Cruz humor to start the day. <laughs> God. <laughs> Real quick, before we start, for all of you, for, for Dante, Javon, and Sam, if you did not go to Temple, where were you going to go? Did you have any potential warm weather destinations or not? If I didn't go, like, realistically, or where would I want it to go? Because realistically, if I didn't go here, I probably would have gone to UMass Amherst. But I don't think I applied anywhere. But I'll say, I, I, stand, I will die on this hill. I think that UCLA is the coolest college in the country. Yes. Good man, Sam. There's, uh, there's, like, there's nothing cooler than UCLA. Have you guys been to LA? No. No. Yeah, that's why you're saying that. LA sucks. 
LA is like one of like it gets glamorized because like you think like oh Hollywood and all this crap. Most of LA campus, sucks. Does their I, campus suck? Oh, there's UCLA's campus is supposed to be beautiful. I've not seen UCLA. USC's campus is is beautiful, uh, but I haven't seen UCLA's. I have no desire to live in Los Angeles. No, nor do I. Yeah, no. like my my family's from California, and like I just have no desire to. Tons of traffic, very expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, what was, what was the question again? Warm weather schools that we possibly were going to? Yeah. If you didn't go to Temple, is there another school that you would have gone to or wanted to go to that was a warm weather place? See, if I would have applied to a school out west, my mom probably would have like had 10 heart attacks and blamed me for all 10 of them. So, <laughs> uh, you know, like I think the furthest west I got accepted to was Kansas. Or Toledo, you choose, or Kent State, a lot of action going on. Uh, and then Hampton, NC Central, and Morgan State. Uh, so the question is no. My one rather option would have been go to prep school and play D2 basketball in Florida. So I like it. <laughs> no. I like it. Sure. That would have been a cool experience. <laughs> it it would have been solid. But eh. All my schools were cold, though Hofstra, Temple, Penn State, cold, cold, cold. And I would have hated. Yeah, I would have hated myself for every time I walked out at like State College or Long Island. Yeah, I only applied in the Northeast. Yep. Yeah, anyway, this weather report. report <laughs> Extra 40 degrees today, it's not bad. No, not terrible. Kyle got to start on the weather talk. Kyle's wearing, guy. Kyle's wearing a beanie, so. I mean, I, like, I didn't really work out, but like, I kind of worked out and my hair's a mess. I'm like, yeah, whatever. But I haven't showered yet because you know, I'm so committed to the scoop. Sam's telling us to wrap it up. Yeah, he's right. Sam's got a lot more producery the last since like, (laughs) (laughs) like he just like unilateral. It was the right decision, but like to the listeners who were saying like, oh, last week's episode was a little long. It was originally twice as long. And Sam went in and just like cut out half this crap. Like, don't need this. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) All right, producer Sam, as you wish, we'll move along. Uh, We have... Uh, do have another packed episode uh, to bring to you guys. Uh, some recruiting updates to pass along for football. A few more staff updates. We'll have a Temple basketball report for you. The Owls played Tulsa. Uh, and then a pretty full mailbag as well. We'll start with uh, some of the coaching staff updates. A couple of these uh, that Kyle broke. Now, again, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. A lot of, um, most of them, Langsdorf, DJ Elliott, some of those have still not been officially announced. Ola Adams, I don't know if they're, I don't know if they're waiting to uh, to announce them all at once. Um, Kyle had broken the news about JT Hill joining the staff in a personal role. Uh, Chris Woods is joining the staff. Uh, he had previously been a defensive coordinator at places like Columbia, Texas State, spent some time in the XFL. JT Hill. That's, that's the important part. The the Dallas Renegades or whatever. Yes. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Hill had been, uh, he'd all previously worked at Tennessee, Alabama, the Dolphins, um, uh, and then the news that, that broke today per Bruce Feldman, uh, Jules Montanar is reported to be the team's defensive backs coach, uh, has experienced at USF, Georgia, Alabama, won the 2017 Sunbelt Recruiter of the Year Award, uh, supposed to be a good recruiter in Florida, which would, you know, would serve any program well, especially Temple. Um, uh, what, what else am I forgetting, guys? Anything else that, that I missed in the, the realm of uh, staff updates? Do we have strength coaches when we talked last week? I honestly can't. did. It's only been a week ago. Dante's not in his head. Yes. Yes. I think we did talk about the, about the strength staff uh, last week. Yes, we did. 
Um, a few recruiting updates to pass along too. And again, I, I would urge you guys to check out uh, Caden Steele's content on the site. Uh, D'Artanian Tinsley, a Kentucky Christian transfer, supposed to be visiting this weekend. He's being recruited by Chris Wiesahan. Uh, Jaden Oliver, the New Mexico uh, Military Institute transfer cornerback, visited last weekend. He has Templeman's top three. Uh, and then Elijah Warner, I think we've talked about him before, the uh, Brophy College prep quarterback, and of course the son of Kurt Warner. He has an official visit scheduled to Temple for next weekend. Uh, so again, I would, I would encourage you all, if you haven't subscribed to Alscoop yet, please do. Uh, you can get all that content there. Uh, a couple other notes to pass along, and there are more details about this, I think, on our message boards. Travis Bates, uh, the running back from Berkeley Prep, is coming in for an official this weekend. Uh, he picked up an offer two days ago. Caden Steele has an interview set up coming up with him. And then uh, Joseph Darkwa, uh, this just broke today, got uh, an offer from Temple. He's a Penn State transfer. Um, one of the Brandon Collier guys, right? Came in from... Uh, yeah, PPI. Yeah, so one of the European guys I played in. I was back during like the peak of Brandon Collier, when they, which pre-COVID, when they were just doing like the, I'm going to bring 30 guys over from Europe and we're going to tour 15 colleges. Yep. Uh, he was kind of like the highlight of that that recruiting yeah. cycle. Yeah, so um, I don't think Darko played much at all at, at Penn State, but at, I don't, he literally did not see the field. Is my yes. so but he was all. But when you take a European guy, they're raw. Yep. They've never really played a high level. You're just hoping that that athleticism translates. Probably also used to better ingredients in their food. But you know, you gave me the. You gave me the Bill Hader, uh, uh, what's his, what's his name? Herb Welch. Look, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific SNL skit. Um, uh, Steven Stilianos, the other uh, transfer tight end from Lafayette picked up a temple offer. So uh, you can see that they are kind of going with a mix of, of, you know, portal offers and some, uh, high school players too. So these next couple of weeks are going to be interesting as temple approaches that next signing day, uh, in February. So, um, and again, another plug for, you know, we, we mentioned, uh, kind of previewed these stories last week, but Dante did a terrific job on the Danny Langsdorf story and the, the DJ Elliott story. So again, they haven't officially been announced as Temple's coordinators, uh, offense coordinator and defense coordinator respectfully. But, um, if you haven't had a chance to check them out, please do. I mean, it's really kind of just a user-friendly guide to, you know, the schemes that they've run, uh, you know, of course is, Dante will tell you and a lot of people will tell you you know we haven't talked to these guys yet uh spring ball will be interesting but you know I don't know if they're going to say well yeah my stuff's going to be a mix of what I've done in the past and my personnel but I would strongly encourage you to check out those stories again if you're an Alscoop subscriber you can read those uh if you haven't subscribed would definitely encourage you to do so Dante did some uh terrific terrific work there um and then I don't think we talked about this because I think this popped up in the last week or so um, again, nothing official, but Iverson Clement, who made waves when he was talking about the former strength staff, um, he got back on Twitter and said he talked to Preston Brown, who's Temple's running backs coach, and said he's going to be staying at Temple. You know, we'll see. I mean, again, running backs, a huge question mark there. We'll, we'll see what Preston thinks of, of the current group and, and who emerges there. But, um, you know, if Iverson Clement can get things together, That'll be interesting. Did I miss anything from the past week, guys? As I just aggregate everything. So, so you just went through our entire script. So probably not. <laughs> um, <laughs> two things I'll say about that. One, uh, Iverson Clement has not yet officially been added back to the roster or anything. Mm -hmm. So we're going entirely off of a tweet. Right. With one side of the story. Right. 
no reason to not believe the kid, but um, have not been able to uh, see that he's officially back the team. Granted, that's not really like a team right now. Like, it's not like they're holding all these all these meetings. Iverson is just not part of yet. Spring ball has not yet kicked back off. We're just firmly recruiting. Rewinding a little bit to the coaching staff, uh, my biggest takeaway from these new hires and the hires for the last week and a half is that Stan Drayton, a first-year head coach, is putting a lot of weight into what his chief of staff, Everett Withers, uh, believes and has done in the past. Yeah. So now you're looking at Chris Woods, who is Everett Withers' defensive coordinator for his last year at Texas State, Antoine Smith, the defensive line coach who was with him at JMU, went to Texas State with him. Um, Jules Montnar, same thing, was at JMU, went to Texas State with him. You're talking about three of your 10 position coaches just were like were previously on the Texas State or JMU, JMU staff. Now we have 10 assistant coaches that have literally never coached with Stan Drayton before. Like they've never, none of his 10 assistant coaches have ever been on the same staff as him, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, it's pretty much the polar opposite of uh, the previous coaching staff as they had all worked together before. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it, it's a lot of different ingredients and you got to see if it tastes good when you mix it all together because yeah, a lot of different different strands. I tried to make like a TikTok reference there. I'm a youth now. I'm a big youth guy. That's why I'm wearing the beanie. Um, but yeah, I, I would understand why there might be some hesitancy about some of these hires. Uh, but that, that's big, my, my biggest takeaway is that Stan Drain trusts whatever Withers thinks, and he's relying heavily on that. I just noticed that Dante, when he tries to muffle a laugh on, on Zoom, has that Ray Liotta Goodfellas expression on his face. Like, I don't know. Dante, you're muted. Like you don't have to like. I know. Buffalo laugh. You just maybe laugh. he is laughing. We don't <laughs> look. Know. Look, it is it is habit. You know, like when you've been attending Zoom classes for as long as we have, like it's just habit now for you are trying to be like as not expressive as possible on Zoom. But like you know, sometimes Kyle says that he's you know the young guy and you just have to I'm a youth. express at least a little bit yeah you're a youth <laughs> because so. because you referenced tiktok and you're wearing a hat one time when we recorded like a scoop in like 2012 2014 2015 with jamie gray as our producer he mm-hmm. and i was like 20 i must be like 2004 2014 i was 25 years old i asked him if he thinks i'm closer to his age like personality wise or yours and he was like oh i definitely bump you in with john and i was like i'm like 24 years old and he's like no that might you might as well be 40 like there's no difference in my mind and that 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 pained me and it, it still does still still apparently sits with you today in 2022 <laughs> well if it i mean javon considers himself to be a boomer right i mean so yeah sam gave me that name and yeah. i've embraced it proudly yes i don't know we're, we're getting older as we're getting younger who knows it was, an, it was a, a term of endearment but uh yeah. john johnson uh, john javon is an old soul he is Knows a lot about the temptations. Love him for that. Young soul. My youth. Young, young, young soul. Well, <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, it is going to be interesting, though, because we talked about this last week. There's the cohesion part of thing and uh, uh, of things. And, you know, again, this is anytime there's obviously a new staff and turnover. It makes covering spring ball and preseason camp in that first season really interesting. But as Kyle said, it is going to be the polar opposite. Again, wasn't entirely uncommon what Rod Carey did and bringing a lot of his staff over because he was a head coach. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Of course, a lot of these guys will tow the company line and say, oh, it's a great staff, love working together. But it really is uh, a, a mixed a mixed group of, of people in different backgrounds and, and stuff like that. And again, like, like Kyle said, 
Uh, Stan's putting a lot of trust in his chief of staff there, but in his chief of staff, he also got a guy who, you know, could have, <laughs> Sam just put something in the, in the chat and distracted me and said, this is Kyle. I don't know what it is. Um, but yeah, it, he's putting a lot of trust in his chief of staff in, in Withers. And uh, um, do you guys still look at this and, and think, okay, cohesion is going to be this, the biggest part of, of spring ball and, and preseason camp when you look at things? I think it has to be right. I mean, I think that's, that's gotta be like the key thing with this staff, right. Is, you know, we can kind of poke holes in, you know, different people's uh, backgrounds and their coaching history, like live long day, but like, what do we really know? We haven't talked to these people. We haven't been inside those rooms. I mean, you know, I think covering a coaching search is so hard for a lot of media people who like, aren't like the five or six college football insiders because you're just limited on your scope of knowledge so yeah I, I do think that it's going to be important to to see how these uh coaches mend together um like again I played extremely low level football but I think you can even learn a lot from just going and seeing how they run a practice uh how they transition between drills what is the communication amongst coaches like um things like that like I again they saw they sound small they sound stupid but like it's a decent indicator of where some coaching staffs are at sometimes uh so that'll be big for spring ball I you know I think it's interesting that they're bringing in a bunch of guys who haven't coached together before I, I think it's a I think it's an interesting approach I think if you look at them as a collective you have just about every box that you would want checked off for a temple staff uh, whether that's local ties, um, guys who are good recruiters, guys who are good coaches, experienced play callers, you know, regardless of their success. Um, I think you check off a lot of boxes. So if they are able to meld minds and kind of really, really work together as a cohesive unit, um, it's hard to think that they won't, you know, at least be somewhat of a major upgrade over the, <laughs> over the last staff. And again, that's not a high bar, but I think it's worth uh, saying at least. Yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting from the coaching perspective, exactly what Dante said with the how they run a practice and everything. But until well, until spring ball starts, and to be honest, until probably further than that, then we'll be able to see practices. The only thing you can really gauge these on are their track records as far as recruiting goes. Um, Stan Drayton mentioned he wanted a lo local staff. He wanted stuff like that. I think he did a, a sort of good job with that. Like, I think you can consider Preston Brown, Ola Adams, Chris Wiesahan to an extent, like local, local. Um, but, I, but I think he did a really good job of like regional local, like Adam Shire has Maryland and Virginia ties. Thad Ward has Virginia and Florida ties. Uh, Antoine Smith, Boston, New England ties. Um, and then, I'm sorry. And, and, and Jules Montanar has Florida ties. All, all, all areas are really important to Temple recruiting. So I think they did a good job of kind of hitting all, checking all the boxes for areas that they've had success recruiting for. Um, it's just, you really have to hope that Ola Adams and Preston Brown are really going to knock it out of the park Philadelphia wise, because a lot of these guys have not recruited Philadelphia before. Mm -hmm. And we mentioned at the outset of the podcast, that we would have a temple basketball update for you. So the owls who had never won at Tulsa ended that streak of futility Wednesday night with a 69 64 road win at Tulsa temple improves to 10 and six overall three and two in league play Tulsa dropped to six and eight overall and zero and three in league play. So Temple had never won at Tulsa, including six games where they were conference opponents and Tulsa had led the all-time series 11 to four. Tulsa had won those games against Temple uh, at home against the Owls by an average margin of 15.7 points per game. So that shows you just how much they've dominated Temple. That place has been, the Reynolds Center has been a house of horrors for the Owls. 
but they turned things around Wednesday night. Nick Jordan, uh, for the second game in a row, established a career high this time, 23 points on nine of 17 shooting, uh, just one of seven from three, but he just got a lot done around the rim, uh, a lot of stuff in uh, mid-range. And uh, after the game, Nick Jordan told us that he had a little bit of inspiration heading into Wednesday night's game. To me, I knew he was going to go in because I was thinking, my mom told me before this game, it's her birthday today, and she was telling me that all she wants for her birthday is for me to break my career high again. So I was just thinking, man, I know I'm going to hit these. I know my mom watches me. I know they're all believing me. I know I work on this. So it was easy from there. So Nick Jordan obviously making his mother proud on her birthday and giving her the birthday gift that she asked for. So Nick was one of four temple players in double figures. Damian Dunn uh, came through in the second half, ended up with 17 points, got nine, uh, went nine of 10 from the line. So nine of those 17 points came from the line. Uh, Jaleel white came through, continues to improve, uh, had his first double double of his career with 11 points and 10 rebounds. And Zach Hicks was in double figures as well. Uh, Going back to Jaleel White, Aaron McKee uh, asked Aaron about Jaleel White and his progression, what it meant for them to get 10 rebounds out of him, uh, to see Jaleel go four of six from the free throw line. And these are two players, Jaleel White and Nick Jordan, both from New Jersey, both guys who weren't super highly recruited, but guys that Temple really needed to hit on. And uh, again, nobody's confusing Tulsa. This Tulsa team is not a top 25 team. They're struggling this year. But again, it's a place where Temple had not won before and those two guys really came through Wednesday night uh, asked Aaron about Jaleel White and about his growth and here's what Aaron had to say about him it's it's growth as I said with, with all of these guys and I, I think he's far ahead of, of you know what we expected but this is what these guys want they want to be college basketball players they want to be winners it's part of and he's been really working hard on his game working hard on his free throws and, and just you know now we're just teaching these guys basketball teaching these guys how to think the game and, and that's a byproduct you know you, if you're going to be a good player you're going to be in games late you got to be able to make free throws if you can't make free throws you can't defend chances are you won't be in the game late so those are the things that he's want he wants he's working on that he's still a work in, in progress there'll be a lot of ups and downs with him and along with a lot of our other guys um but it's, it's starting to level out a little bit and, and, and balance out where we're getting more consistency. And I, and I think I have a good idea what I can get from them on a game-by-game basis. So for Tulsa, Jariah Horn had 15 points. Uh, Ladavius uh, Drain had 12. Uh, Ray Adou had 14 off the bench. The one blemish for Temples, they did have 19 turnovers in this game. They were up 31 to 28 at the half. Uh, they were trailing 47 to 42 uh, at the 12:25 mark of the second half before they went on a 13-0 run uh, to take control of the game, uh, held on at the end. So uh, a big win for the Owls in the sense, again, that they'd never won at Tulsa before. That is their third win in a row. Uh, Temple will have a week off now. They play next uh, against Wichita State next Wednesday at the Leah Chorus Center. Uh, but again, a big win for the Owls, finally getting a win at Tulsa, snapping that streak uh, at a place that had been such a difficult place for them to play. They overcame that zone, overcame the 19 turnovers. But again, a, a big games from Nick Jordan, uh, Jaleel White, and uh, you know, a more steady play from Damian Dunn uh, down the stretch, got it done for the Owls. All right, so let's go to another pretty full mailbag this week. Got some basketball questions, some football questions, some from Twitter, some from the message boards. Thank you to all of you for submitting these questions. We appreciate it. 
Uh, we'll start with the ones from the message board. The first one comes from the screen name B Devin Four, and his question is: The underclassmen, and this is basketball related. The underclassmen have seemed to take a leap with Caleb Battle, Jake Forrester, and Rod Strickland sideline or Ty Strickland, not Rod Strickland, Rod is his father. Um, Nick Jordan and Jaleel White, in particular, have upped their respective levels of aggression. How does the eventual return of Jake and Ty change the dynamic? Is Tosh sweet? Well, we'll start. He's got a few other questions here, or at least another one. Um, how does the eventual return of Jake Forrester and Ty Strickland change that dynamic? What do you guys think? I don't know if uh, Ty changes a whole lot because Ty essentially would be, would be going back to kind of the role he was playing. Um, and I don't want to say that Ja is taking over like Caleb's role, but he's taking over, essentially taking over his minutes uh, kind of in that rotation. Whereas Ty kind of just goes back to being that first guard off the bench. Maybe Zach Hicks sees a few, maybe sees some fewer minutes, but more likely High Seer Miller sees fewer minutes. So I don't think anything really changes with Ty. He just kind of gives you an added boost in scoring off the bench. I think the interesting thing is how does Jake change things? Cause they've played a lot of small ball. Um, Sage Tolbert has seen kind of a dip in his minutes or Ashford Parks has played a little more. So I think when you bring Jake back into that groove, back into that rotation, I'm curious to see how that plays out. Do they feel more comfortable with the way they've been playing uh, on this? What is it now? A three game win streak. Um, the way they two, two game win streak, Kyle, two game win streak. Uh, how they've been playing with, uh, with the lineup they have going. Do they feel like, you know, does Jake see a little bit of a dip in his minutes instead of playing, what is it, like he's playing like 25 minutes, maybe closer to 20? Um, so that that's probably my biggest thing is like how much does the dynamic change on the floor with Jake rather than with Ty? I think from the way the rotation has looked these past couple of games, Jake's going to have to come back and be the productive Jake Forrester if he wants to see those minutes again. Because we saw earlier in the season, uh, you know, McKee and staff had no problem sitting him and put a Nick Jordan in as the small ball five and just rocking out with that. So if Forrester, you know, is the seven and five guy, I think his minutes come down for the sake of keeping the chemistry of this unit right now together. But if he comes back and is the 12 to 13 with eight boards guy, then he can see his same 20 minutes a game. Yeah. I mean, the biggest takeaway from this is whenever we're talking about Jake Forrester, Sam's stats are always a little inflated. <laughs> like Just last week, last week it was like all the times he's dropped 20 one time. And then he's like, well, he's playing like 25 minutes a game, averages 17 minutes a game. He has not that been able to stay on the floor. He has game. not been able to stay on the floor even when healthy is here. Um, I think I think he put if it's worth assuming they're both available, which probably is not the case. If they were both available, I think Jake Forrester slides back into that starting role and with ty it's just well now you're replacing somebody in high Sierra miller who's a 26 percent three-point shooter and you're replacing him with like a 36 percent three uh, three-point shooter so like ty strickland is i think always going to have a role on this team because he can shoot that's something this team desperately needs sam let me ask you something you put something out on twitter i think it was today and again we don't want to overestimate what arashma parks is as a player but I know it's going to sound cliche, but he has been a little scrappy. Doesn't seem to really uh, try to go outside what he can do. I, I get the sense that you've kind of been satisfied with what he's what he's been able to do, and 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 sort of just letting things run through him and, and contribute in the way he can contribute. I I played with the wording of that a ton because I didn't want it to seem like I thought Arashma was doing something spectacular. I think I'm trying to remember who it was last year that. Uh, it might have been Nick Jordan that Aaron would always say 
he's contributing, he's doing something. Like he'd have a solid game and Aaron be like, he's doing what we need, like kind of what we want him to do, what we need him to do. When I say that Arashma gives them something, he gives them 13 minutes because I don't think he can stay on the floor that much longer. Uh, Rewatching that ECU game, four minutes in, he signaled over to the bench three times uh, for calling for a sub. So I don't think he can stay on the floor physically, but he gives them something. He gives them the baseline of exactly what they need. They don't need him to score. They just need him to defend the interior with some kind of discipline. Cause I think he's probably the most disciplined defender interior defender they have in terms of just staying straight up and down and not, um, and not getting fouls called, uh, called on him. I think he can grab a couple rebounds and I think he's, he's a body inside and he can set a, He can set a half decent screen. Um, so when I say like, I think he gives them something, I think he gives them the baseline of when everyone else is playing well, exactly what they need from him. Uh, next question here. Also one from B Devin for is Taj Thweet a possibility. Tosh Thweet, uh, as you all know, Temple had at one point recruited him out of Wildwood Catholic, good friend and, and former teammate of Jula White. He is leaving, uh, and transferring from West Virginia, it's just going to sound like a slight at the kid, but I think a lot of people saw this coming. Is he a possibility? No, unless something changes. I've asked around on this a lot. Uh, Temple's not going to be recruiting him out of the portal. Uh, B. Devin Four here says, seems to fit the toughness mold Coach McKee is looking for. Uh, and he also says, no ridiculous scenarios this week. W- wins keep Rothstein uh, flame-free. B. Devin Four was the one who had the, the ridiculous scenario where uh, asking us what we would do if John Rothstein was uh, in trouble at center court. But yeah, the the, the Taj Sweet thing is not going to happen. Um, and it'll be interesting to see where he where he ends up. He obviously didn't play a ton at West Virginia, but and we'll I'm sure talk about this in in the the coming weeks. You know, Temple needs another shooter, and they need a big. And Tosh Sweet's not really either one of those. It's not to say that his shot couldn't you know develop in in coming weeks or whatever. But they, they need a guy. We talked about this ad nauseum. You know, the, the Aaron keeps saying uh, I want to be able to play inside out um, and. He's not that guy. So I would not expect them to, to, to go after him. And again, that's pretty well sourced. We've talked to a few people on this, so I wouldn't expect him to be in the mix there. I get the question probably won't be the last time we get it, but don't expect it to be happening. Um, next question from the message board from the screen name temple J any whispers of a recruit or transfer for next year, a big a shooter. That's what we just said is like Pomo practicing. Um, I don't know that we have any specific names cause they can't exactly tamper we can we could speculate uh i get the sense sam uh, javon will run this by you guys too I, it sounds like Akpomo could be a little closer to returning or am i overstating that i would say my i mean i don't know this for sure and this isn't sourced but my inclination would be that he's practicing considering he dressed he warmed up and there was a non-zero possibility of him playing in the ecu game uh i mean to all all signs Pointed that he's at least doing something in practice. It's something with his neck. There hasn't been a ton of specifics. I, you know, from what I've heard, they're still doing, they're still kind of trying to figure things out uh, or have been, but I, I, I can't give a ton of specifics there. My, my inclination is that he's probably practicing. I have no idea when he would officially uh, take the floor again. I mean, I, I would be, again, it's not like they have a ton of other options, but if they could get anything out of him and just see what, what they have in him moving forward. Again, I think the rub on him has been a guy they have to develop, a defense is ahead of his offense type of guy, but uh, would love to see if they could get anything out of him in the, in the coming weeks for as long as Aaron's going to say we want to be able to play uh, inside out. 
a few more from the message board here. The next one from Jeff MD 49. Um, this is football related. Any word if we are close to getting commits from the players recently offered, I couldn't tell you with any degree of certainty. I mean, you know, could they be, I mean, it looks like they're in, I mean, look, they're getting Dartadian Tinsley uh, to visit this weekend. Again, if you check out, uh, if you check out Caden's stories uh, on Al Scoop, you can get a sense of how these kids feel about Temple. Jaden Oliver already visited last weekend. I think he's got the Buffalo visit, right? And then he's gonna then he's gonna decide. Uh, EJ Warner, Kurt Warner's kid, has an official visit schedule for next weekend. You know, I don't, I don't believe that 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 Caden's been tipped off that any of these guys are are super close to committing. But I think it sounds like they're in pretty good shape with with all of them. But I think at this point we would just be speculating, but a lot of this stuff is going to shake out in the next couple of weeks. I don't know if you guys want to chime in on this one. I was just going to say that last part. This is the part of the recruiting cycle where like you can go from a kid doesn't have an offer to he gets offered on a Friday. He visits That's that right. weekend and is committed yep. on Sunday. So, I mean, there, there's three recruiting weekends left before national signing day. So these things tend to go quickly. Yeah. Um, next question here from the message boards from D blaze 75. Mahim McCargo's Twitter says he is a defensive back but he played linebacker or Bubo last year. Kyle pointed out to us yesterday that Bubo is no longer a thing on the roster. We mourned, uh, <laughs> we mourned, mourned that the, that the passing of Bubo, Javon. Don't tell that lie, John. Don't, don't, don't tell that lie. No one's mourning the passing of Bubo. No one. It's kind of like how, like if I die at a young age, I would expect you guys to like ridicule me at my death. That's kind of how we mourn Bubo. Like, give me a hard time as I pass. You really like, <laughs> would ridicule you if you died? Like, if you would, if I, I, know, I got hit by like a loose camel or something tomorrow, a <laughs> run over, I would not expect at my funeral for you to be like, oh, yeah, like, you know why? He was always so good to like charities and blah, blah. Like, I would expect you to bust my stones even in death. That's what I did to Boobo yesterday. Why would I, why would I expect <laughs> that you would want? If you were to pass sooner rather than later, you would tell Meg, like, I want to roast. I want to be roasted at my funeral. Oh, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to roast because, like, I still died, John. You should show me some, some respect. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but, like I, would, I wouldn't want, like, a black tie. Like, we're all wearing white gloves affair where everyone's afraid to, like, talk about the fact that, like, Kyle was a bit of an asshole. But you're allowed to do that. <laughs> we not gloss over the fact that Kyle's hypothetical death was getting hit by a loose camel. Yeah, like, I... <laughs> There's zoos around here, man. Like, <laughs> like, like you got Elmwood. They don't have zoo, they don't have camels, but like oh, Philadelphia Zoo. Just lost it. Cape, there are Cape, Cape, Cape May County Zoo. Uh, just let's think oh, realistically. That camel is either coming from Philadelphia Zoo, Elmwood Park, which would be ironic because you had your rehearsal dinner there. If a loose camel makes it from the Cape May Zoo to your neck of the woods without being uh -huh. discovered, that then. I mean, kudos to the camel. I mean, we can't really but be upset. End of the day, end of the day, my neighborhood is a little a, a roundabout situation. If there's a camel there and that camel is in the middle of the street, I'm 10 toes down. Like I'm, I'm confronting that camel. Like that, I'm not just letting that camel go around. That camel can do anything. They can be assholes. They can spit. Camels spit, right? They're like alpacas. So like, I think you, you need to stand your ground at some point. I'm the man at the gate, keeping the camels from terrorizing this neighborhood. And unfortunately, that might be. Javon, set some set some odds on the showdown between Kyle and the camel. I'd body a camel. Uh, I would uh, destroy um, a camel. 
Are you kidding me? How? What's it going to attack me with, John? <laughs> like, it doesn't have claws. I'm in the business of attracting betters and making money for both sides. So we're going to start you off at like a good plus 500. Are you out of your mind? I'm minus 120. Start. I'm killing a camel. See, see, but that's not going to entice anybody to bet, though. I'm killing a camel. Like, am I just with my bare hands or do I have like some type of weapon? Because I am destroying a camel. I think we're going to start with the bare hands. But if you can reach for a weapon, it won't be a disqualification. What happens if the camel what runs what away? Turn this podcast if the, if the camel runs away, is that me winning? If I like intimidate the camel, the fact that he got out of there? If he runs away out of mercy, then no. But if he not runs out of mercy, away, like out of like fear, like in retreat, in, in retreat then you, yeah, you win. in retreat, yeah. Okay, then I'm I'm winning that ninety nine out of hundred times. You guys I could easily, I could easily scare a camel into leaving. This you heard started with... first Kyle Gauss, professional camel fighter. <laughs> I just like somehow lose my shirt during it. Like people are looking out and like saying, "I'm just shirtless to wrestling a camel." Like. Jim Ross commentates the event. Oh man! This and then fast with- forward, you know, like six to eight days late later, once you know they put my body back together, you guys would then at my my funeral mourn me. This started with you, I think, at least being more deferential toward the camel, and then it just fast forwarded to you just saying like, "Oh, camel." Have you ever seen my favorite? I've probably said this before. My favorite YouTube video in the world was like three years ago when that um, that video went viral of the kangaroo with the dog, and the dude just punches a kangaroo in the face. That's me to the camel. Like at a certain point, like you got you to remember that there's still animals. They get scared. I'd be able to scare that thing away in 10 seconds. I would know within 15 seconds if I was going to die or, or defeat the camel. Does It'd Ray be obvious right away. support you in this at all? No, he'd get in the way. My dog? No, no, no. He's, he, Riggs is a lover. He's not a fighter. He would he's he a lover. Be wanted, to come, wanted to come on the Boston College road trip with us. It was Notre Dame. Notre Dame? Was it Notre Dame? Yeah, got yeah. in the car. That was that was tremendous. Anyway, we got way off track. A lot of interesting. Joe Camel could probably f me up though, but I don't think they have Joe Camel anymore. I think they got rid of Joe Camel. He was, he was targeting children. Turns out, turns out he can't do that with cigarettes. No. <laughs> anyway, um, where the hell did we leave off here? Where, how did we get? Okay, who's going to be competing for safety? Right, right. Thank you, Javon. We talked about. I'm, I literally looked back down at the script. I was like, "Where, where do we pick up again?" Yes. Okay. To review, Mohim Macargo's Twitter says he is a defensive back, but he played linebacker in Bubo last year. Quantel Rain switched from linebacker to safety toward the end of last year. Do you see any movement on the current roster with switching positions? Who will be competing for the starting <clears throat> safety position in the spring? Answer the first part of that question. Yes. Another fun thing I think that comes about with a coaching change is position switches and you know a new staff coming in and saying hey you, you got a clean slate or we think you can utilize you here um i mean let, let's talk about the bubo thing first i think that uh i don't know who wants to take this one i mean linebackers can go in a lot of different directions dante i'll, I'll throw this one over to you i mean where do you think you know you've, you've looked at dj elliott's scheme again knowing that he hasn't had a full spring or any sort of you know, practice contact with these guys. Where do you see guys like Mahima Carwell and Quantel Reigns shaking out in that linebacking core, or could they become safeties? Yeah, I think um, if Elliott uses the same scheme that he used the last time he was a defensive coordinator at Kansas, uh, we might be able to mourn the death of the name Bubo, um, but the responsibilities of that player in the defensive scheme will still exist. Um, Elliott is a background as a linebacker's coach. Linebackers do everything uh, in that scheme. They had an overhang player, which is kind of like the umbrella term for what a boom, what a boobo does. 
um, in the uh, in the old Temple defense, and they still have that type of player uh, in the Kansas defense. So we might be able to mourn the loss of the name, uh, but that you know those players will probably they might be um, referred to as traditional linebackers on the roster, but. Uh, assuming Elliott runs a similar scheme to the one that he ran at Kansas, we're still going to see a player operate in space kind of in the slot as like a pseudo linebacker, pseudo nickel corner type player. So Mahima Cargo may list himself as a DB. Maybe he's a strong safety. Maybe he is that still that pseudo nickel back uh, linebacker type player. Same thing for Quantel Reigns. Um, so I wouldn't get too caught up in looking at the roster right now and looking at guys' Twitters and seeing uh, what position they, they're listed as. I would wait until we get to spring ball and there is uh, much closer to a solidified roster and these coaches have had time to talk with and meet with these players and implement their scheme. So um, it's fun to speculate. And again, I don't know what DJ Elliott's going to do, but using past history, using context clues, uh, Mahima Cargo can call himself a DB if he wants to. I don't know if his role is going to change a ton if they run that same defense that they ran at Kansas again. Maybe DJ Elliott comes in here. He looks at this linebacker group and he says, you know what? I want to do something different. We're not going to do that. But I, I would be surprised. Uh, coaches don't typically just flip the script like that. Uh, they might have tweaks. They might have wrinkles. But it's rare to see someone just, you know, get rid of a, a whole position from their defense, especially when their background is that position specifically. Yeah. I mean, Dante, correct me if I'm wrong, but like just looking at the roster as it currently stands and, and you see what Elliott did in his previous stops, this roster's got a lot of 4-3 nickel and dime feel to me. With that being the case, who outside of Kobe Wilson and Mahima Cargo like really pop out at the linebacker position? Like Jordan McGee. Divinity, and, and McGee, creepy. yeah. Like, I think those are the top three right now. And I think those are the three that, like, if you were to start spring ball right now, that would be Mike Will and Sam on the depth chart, like starting Mike Will and Sam. So I don't really, yeah, like Dante said, McCargo can call himself a DB, but he, he's going to be in the box more than outside. The other thing here that D-Blaze75 is asking is, who will be competing for the starting free safety position in the spring? I, I think that they have more options at free safety. Uh, again, I'm not saying any one of them have locked it up. I mean, between Alex Odin and some of those guys, I think another question to ask is, if you're looking at the position traditionally, who's you know that strong safety with MJ Griffin out of the mix now? I mean, I, they like some of the young players they have there. But again, another interesting question heading into the spring. And there are names there, but... I don't know if anybody has I'll, I'll, I'll volley this to Dante, but all I'll just say is we keep writing Jalen Ware off and he keeps finding his way to the start. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, I, I was going to say Ware I think is a, a strong contender maybe for that strong safety spot. You look at maybe Deshaun Winston's free safety or something. They, like, they loved him know. until they loved him yeah, before he got hurt. Until know? he got hurt. So maybe he comes back. What I will say is just generally speaking, um, if they, again, if they do run that, that Kansas defense that Elliott ran when he was there, uh, free safety is very important. Cover three heavy defense. You need somebody with range and ball skills over the top, or you are going to get burned consistently by any slot receiver who runs sub four four. So mm-hmm. you need that. You need that cap on the defense. If Temple can't find it, they're going to have trouble implementing that coverage. And he's he's young, but the best athlete in that group might be Jay, uh, sorry, I was going to say Jalen Ware again. It might be Corey Palmer. So it, it, Corey Palmer could work his way into that situation. I, I think there's plenty of options there, even with MJ Griffin being gone. Um, but yeah, they got to find two guys. I mean, safety 
safety, you can rotate a little bit more than you can corners, but I think in the end, you still primarily want two people out there. And a, a few more here on Twitter. The next one from this, uh, the Twitter handle, Dr. Drew. Uh, his question, what do you see as the ceiling for Zach Hicks and Jaleel White? Hicks reminds me uh, Hicks reminds me of uh, Laurie Markinen, and White reminds me a little of Jalen Brown. We were talking about this a little before we started recording. When they were in college, obviously Jaleel has a long way to go with his offensive game, so it's a rough comparison. Sam, Javon, I'll let you guys have fun with this one. I mean, Laurie Markinen is a seven-foot German stretch power forward. Zach Hicks is a, what, listed as 6'7", six, 6'8", wing out of Camden, New Jersey. I, it, those two guys couldn't be any more different. Mm-hmm. Uh, the I think they mean the skill set, not the... Uh, yeah, no, 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 the but, skill set too. Like, you, Zach Hicks isn't that stiff. Yeah, he, he's, he, he's not that stiff. Like, if I were Zach Hicks and I saw this, my pride would be hurt. Like, seriously. Because <laughs> my remarketing... He was somewhat athletic, but he he really couldn't move that well at that point in his career. So if I were Zach Hicks, like, I'd, I'd see where you're coming from, but I'd feel a little insulted. But the Jalil White and Jalen Brown one, like, when you look at what Jalen Brown was at Cal, it kind of makes sense. Plays defense, is athletic, can't really shoot, but he'll give you a corner three that you kind of need at least once in the game. So that, that's actually not the worst thing I've heard, but Zach Hicks and Lowry Martin in one. Uh-uh. I think it's hard to make comparisons like this. Um, I remember making a comparison, like my third episode of The Scoop, and we got into a debate about whether or not we should be making comparisons uh, at all. <laughs> what, was that com- what was that comparison? I have no recollection. Do you remember? No. I don't even remember the conversation. Doesn't irrelevant. irrelevant. One of the things we'll talk about at your funeral, pal. <laughs> is it his inability to retain or process information. Um, but back to the question, uh, what do you see as a ceiling for Zach Kicks? I mean, I almost wrote about this and then it kind of passed and just didn't happen. Start of the season, they were polar opposites. Jock came in and he was one of the team's better defenders, uh, but had virtually no offensive game. He told me over the summer, or I guess late, maybe it was like late summer. He told me when he first got to Temple, he turned the ball over so much. It took him a while to really adapt uh, and kind of figure out the speed of the college game. And he's improved little by little by little each game, but he's got a lot to, he's got a ways to go. If he can kind of find a little bit more consistency uh, in his jump shot, if he can be, if he can become a scorer all three levels, like that takes his game to a whole new level with any kind of consistency. If he can, if he can really help at the offensive end, Zach Hicks, kind of the opposite, came in, and the first thing Aaron McKee said about him was that he's a bloodthirsty scorer. Zach Hicks has been a little bit of a streaky shooter, so same thing. If he can find consistency, uh, Kyle gave me a look because, of course, Zach Hicks has been much more than a little bit of a streaky shooter. Um, but if he can find um, become a more consistent three-point shooter and his defense, although it's not coming along as quickly as Jaleel's offense, his defense, there's been some signs of improvement. So – I think the ceiling for them is is both like really, really strong two-way players for Temple. Uh, I think it's both possible. Zach absolutely has the size and the the wingspan to, to be a solid defender to get in passing lanes. And uh, Jaleel White has the athleticism and the work ethic to become a more prominent offensive scorer. So I'd say the ceilings for both of them are extremely high. And let's not forget that um, we've had more than one guest come on this podcast and say that Zach Hicks was on the trajectory when he was a senior in high school of like the potential of maybe being on the right path to potentially possibly hypothetically being a future pro. So 
I think the potential there is there for both of them to be to be really, really good players at Temple, though. But that last part, who was the name that kept coming up when people would talk about for Green. the comparison? Danny Green is the comparison that would always come up. Oh, he could be Danny Green. He could be Danny Green, which Hopefully is not. this season's Danny Green. <laughs> I mean, even looking back at Danny Green's college career, like he wasn't good his first two years. It right. took him until he was like an upperclassman on that U, those UNC teams to be like solid. Right. Um, but yeah, that was the comp that you kept kind of hearing before he committed to Temple. Mm-hmm. If Zach Hicks can turn his practice shooting percentages into his in-game shooting percentages, he'll be perfectly fine. Like that's mm-hmm. that's his story, right? The other, the last thing I'll say, and this is Javon, what you said about like turning practice into a game. I in the four, this is now year four of covering total basketball. John and Kyle, you guys obviously covered a lot longer, cover basketball a lot longer than I have. I've never heard a freshman admit how nervous they get on the floor. Yeah, like Zach Hicks, Zach Hicks just he's a he's a really nice kid and he kind of just super candidly was like sometimes I get nervous out there like it's it's hard being a freshman and that was a little bit refresh refreshing to hear um but Javon just like to your point like we have to remember he's played in 14 15 games in college uh as Javon said if that three-point percentage goes up and he becomes a more confident shooter in game then he's got a, a bright future ahead of him you know what's going to boost his confidence when when his fellow Jersey guy Caleb Battle comes back next year, and he's got like the friendly teasing situation going on with him, we'll see Zach Kicks. I'm calling it now. Zach Kicks will have four 20 point games next season. There's a lot of a lot of Jersey love on this team, which yeah. I think they, they like pride themselves in. When Caleb always talks about yo, he's like yo, my roommate, you know Nick Jordan or you know Zach too. Like there's a lot of Jersey pride. Yeah. Loop this back together. You probably don't get Nick Jordan if uh, Taj Sweet had committed to Temple coming out of high school. Correct. Point. Yeah. Very good point, Kyle. Um, next question here from Detroit Al on Twitter. Can you clarify who the linebacker coach will be? I mean, we think it's it's we think it's going to be Chris Woods. Is that? I'm like 95 percent sure it's going to be Chris Woods. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, yeah. Nothing's uh, been. I haven't. Yeah. Nothing's been definitely out there. I, if you look at like DJ Elliott's history is with linebackers. So it's definitely possible that look, a lot of times when you're trying to find this 10th assistant, you kind of just, they, they're going to overlap with another position coach. Like you saw that, like when Adam DeMichael was on the staff, he was wide receivers and quarterbacks. And when Larry Knight was outside linebackers, even though he was also defensive ends, like you see some overlap. So it might be that Chris Woods ends up being inside linebackers or outside linebackers or something like that. But I would think that's where he's, that's his calling card for his entire career. Yeah. Uh, two more here from Twitter. The, the second last question here from uh, Twitter handles, the, the I Believe guy, Jack Fatika, longtime Temple fan who started the I Believe That We Have One Chant Temple games. Is that gone? Do they not do that anymore? Granted, there's not many people there, but. Well, this, this ironically enough, speaks to his uh, speaks to his question because, yeah, we don't we don't hear it much anymore. Uh, but this is this is what Jack is talking about. JDC and crew not taking the Rossi angle here. Personally, I think the American Athletic Conference is the right spot for Temple. It's a conference where you can build a real competitive athletics program. See Houston, UCF, and Cincy. It's a shame we wasted the first nine years there. That said, what is going on with basketball attendance? It is historically bad. Is it his, uh, It is historically bad. What will it take for Temple people to show up for Temple? Who cares if they play Delaware State, Fordham, St. Joe's, Tulane, or UAB? Show up. Obviously, the pandemic hurts. But is it as simple as winning and winning consistently? That's yes, that's the short answer to my question. I'd be, you know, of course, be remiss if we didn't mention that the pandemic has had an effect, but we'd also be lying to everybody if we just said, oh, pre-pandemic, 
you know, numbers are what they are. It's not like they were consistently getting six, 70,000 people, you know, the attendance was better, but yeah, that, that UCF game before Christmas was, that was the smallest crowd I've seen in a long time, but yeah, Jack, to answer your question, I don't know how groundbreaking this is. Yeah. They have to, they have to win. They have to get back to the tournament. They have to, they have to re-energize this fan base. I do think that things were different than they were years ago. I think attendance is down a lot of places. There's a lot of research that's been done on that, but yeah, they have to win and win consistently, but I, I don't disagree with the sentiment. Who cares who they're playing show up? Obviously it would help if you're playing a Kansas and, you know, if, uh, you know, big time opponents come to Leah core center, but yeah, I think it's as, as simple as that. Sam, go ahead. The only thing I would add is if you think about Temple's attendance, the first couple of games of the season, like I keep thinking about the USC game and obviously they're USC, like they're going to get people in the, in the gym for that. But I, I don't, I think it's a non-zero factor that, Caleb battles injury. There were a lot of fans that kind of wrote off the season. Um, you're going to have people that said like the season's over and then Temple strings a couple wins together. People see on TV that, you know, Dame Dunn hits back-to-back game winners. They're, they're competing in some really high profile games. They played really well against Houston high profile, whatever, you know what I mean? But um, they're, they're a gritty team. And if they can win games, like maybe people start to come back around, but I think it's a, a, I would just say like, it's a non-zero factor that there were probably Temple fans that saw Caleb battle out for the season and thought, well, season's shocked. I'll come back next year. Yeah. I, I think one thing Temple fans don't get enough credit for is that they are actual like basketball fans. So you got to give them a reason. Let's look at tonight. Let's just say this Tulsa game was at home. You got to give these people a reason to go to the Leah Corey Center instead of stay home and watch Maryland, Northwestern, St. John's, UConn, Utah State, Colorado State, uh, St. Joe's and Rhode Island might be a good one. Big Ten, Big East. Like, you got to give fans a reason to actually go to Leah Corey instead of stay home, kick back their feet in the cold weather and watch solid basketball. And John, like you said, win. Win consistently. Like, the University of Miami, no one cares about no one outside of Florida cares about that basketball program. It seems like they just beat Duke. They're on a nine-game win streak. They're five and zero in the ACC. Fans have been showing up since the days of Shane Larkin. Like just, just win. Winning solves everything in the world. Shane Larkin, that's a name. Another guy the Temple that Temple recruited. But he made, <laughs> you said. Oh, sorry, my dog's going crazy. You said they are Shane Larkin as if that was like thirty years ago. That was not that long ago. <laughs> that was what eight years ago now. Or close hey, I, to I remember covering his recruitment. Barry yeah. Larkin's yeah. kid. Yeah. The only the only thing I'll add is like the is the student like uh, the student body thinks that Temple sports are awful. Like I, I'm like that is obviously I am not yeah. of that opinion. Um, but I have been covering Temple sports for four years, so I have that inside lens to different things. And I've even like, I've covered men's soccer for a semester and women's basketball for like almost a year. So like I've covered a lot of sports on this campus besides the main ones, but like, I am telling you that like the student body is not going to show up to these games until, until Temple starts winning. Um, And that is like the perception amongst the general student base is that temple sports are bad and they're never going to be good right like if you went out and did like a man on the street interview like there is a good percentage of the kids who currently attend school who like don't even know that the Matt rule era of football happened even though it just happened and i know that that sounds crazy i'm telling you it's true 
all they know is that the past couple of years, this team has not been good and there's no reason for them to commute to Lincoln financial field or walk out into the cold to Leah Corey center to go watch the basketball team. Again, I don't believe that, but I'm sitting here on a temple sports podcast. I'm not the, the average student at this point. So they need to start winning and maybe the, you know, the students will show back up, but that is, that is really what people think. I promise you, I've talked to students it's, it's where they're at and it's it's depressing a little bit from the inside but like that's where they're at According two things the, here go ahead john two things here that means number one arthur johnson has a branding issue with temple athletics that he's mm-hmm. got to fix like that's his biggest that's his biggest task as the new ad but it's coming from texas it's not even a texas size task so he'll be good but number two <laughs> if i may have a boomer moment here this proves my point Dante and Sam, that our generation does not care about history the way previous generations had. I'm not denying that. I'm not recent history from 2016. I'm gonna be honest. Like I, like I don't even know football history that well. Like I, like I really don't. Like I know like very like from when I was born, like 2000 to like now. I can like talk about that era a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, Kyle. Kyle's got like yeah. Like I well, I I was born in '99, but I'm December, so like I barely. And like how I feel, Kyle. Yeah, like like I can talk about that era of football, and again, like I'm a football guy, like that's my brand. But like you get like into the mid '90s, and like I can talk a little bit about the late '90s. Like I start to tap out. Like that's where I tap out. Like I'm not a history person. I never have been. I don't think I will be. Like I'm not denying that. When Kyle first started watching football, they wore leather helmets and didn't exactly have pads. I would say like oh one oh two is my favorite football. So no, they were they were definitely wearing bigger pads back then. I can tell you that much. Dante, if you can't talk about Dan Marino and Mark Clayton, I think like your Miami, like everything tied to Hollywood, Florida. Here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. I can talk about the Dolphins history, but I'm talking like the other 31 teams in the NFL, like I am going to draw a blank unless it is like a really well-known that person is in the hall of fame name. Like I don't know Clayton signed football. Like I can talk about Mark Clayton, but like, man, imagine how, imagine how like cruel that is that you're like, I'm a Dolphins fan. I don't care about football prior to 2000. Like, like, like I just, like when the Dolphins were really good. It's not, it's, it's (laughs) awful. Let me say this. I mean, like, I do think this repeats itself. It's like, okay, I was born in 76. I'm 45 years old. It's not like I was walking around as a kid being like, man, I just miss Kenny Stabler and Jim Plunkett and Terry Bradshaw. I, I, I was, when we lived in Pittsburgh, when I was younger, the Steelers from 81 to 86 were, were, were terrible. My dad worked for Frito-Lay. We used to be able to go to, to Steelers games and I didn't realize like some of the the people that I would get the chance to meet like Jack Lambert and stuff like that I was too young to appreciate that. It's not like I was walking around like uh, as a walking encyclopedia of stuff. I, I do think that things, there are just more distractions now where in the, in the nineties, it was a big deal to go to a temple basketball game. Let's film McGonagall hall. You go there, you see Marcus Camby, you see Lou Rowe. There was an actual, that's when John Rothstein Atlantic 10 rivalries existed. Uh, it's not, quite the same now anymore so i do think that they have to they have to win the other thing we're talking about here we're talking a lot about students but there's a student section we're 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 not even addressing as much like the 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 fan base beyond that like what have you like a lot now you have a lot of students who are graduating into into the alumni realm and you know um it's not since you know 
again, not, not since 2001 has the team gone past the, the, the first weekend of the tournament. So well, we're talking about the alums too. The alums are very fickle, just as, just as much as the students, you know, if they, if they, if they lose a couple of games, I'm out, I'm not going, we, we see it on our message boards. We see it on social media. We hear about it from people. Why should I go? So yeah, Jack, I, I think they need to win. Some people I've, I've talked to Kevin Nagandi about this. He thinks that if they get a couple more Philly guys that maybe that might bring more of an identity. I, could be I don't we'll see I think that this I I think that's part of it I do think that if they start if they get to the tournament in year four under Aaron McKee I, I think people will say oh Caleb Battle he's Philly Nick Jordan uh Central North Jersey-ish he's he's Philly you know I, I don't think that will matter it's not the same though I, that's not the same like I promise you had Temple landed Nassim Poplar, who's down in Miami right now. Oh, yeah, Via Core Center would be packed with all the North Philly. Sure, that's that that's fair, but they're just not. Not. I mean, they had no shot of getting him over. But they Miami. don't. Yeah, right. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like how? I mean, if, if they got Wilga Poplar, it would it'd be more people because Wilga Poplar is a top seventy-five recruit. I don't think the Philly part is is I, that I, important. I, I think you're <laughs> underestimating that Philly part. Philly, I mean, Jamal, I'm just gonna say this. I've I've seen home. I've seen this. Like I, I've seen when they bring Philly people in yeah. like this, and I still saw this later chorus center with six, seven thousand people, and not ten thousand two hundred every night. Yeah, like I've it's... seen when they had. I saw I was there when Deontay Christmas was representing all of Uptown and was there and averaging twenty minutes a game or twenty points a game, and they were still not having these massive sellouts every game. Yeah, like I I've seen it. <laughs> I think it's more like and again, different time, different era. It was like holy crap, they got Kevin Lyde, McDonald's All American. Wow. They got Mark Karcher, ACC level recruit. He's going to sit out. Uh, Pepe Sanchez, who was just on a, a social media sensation, who can still pass the ball like a like incredibly. That was creating intrigue. You know, it wasn't as much like you know Lynn Greer. I don't. I, Lynn Greer was never an afterthought, but Lynn Greer came to Temple knowing he was going to have to sit on the bench for a while. I mean, Quincy Wadley, they identified with him. I mean, he was a Harrisburg kid. So I, I they have to win. They have to have an identity. I think you can you can feel good about the progress that that guys like Zach Hicks and Jaleel White are making. And uh, we'll see what happens when Caleb Battle comes back. We'll see how um, I see Miller develops. But you know, I think winning is a big part of it. But you know, and Javon said, you know, this new athletics administration or new athletic director it's hard to market at temple and they've, they've got their hands full with this a um, couple more questions here to close things out at temple fan now on twitter over under 17 wins what are you taking the over or the under for basketball what do we say at the beginning of the season we put them at 18 they have nine wins right now with three six nine 12 14 games left Kyle's muted, but he's talking. No, you said um, three, 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 six, nine. So I started doing three, six, nine. Damn, wow. good time. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't want. I'm not gonna say it's. And over then he seven. muted himself again. He leaned in on that. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with it's either it's the most it'll be is 17. I think if it's under, I think it's like we we started the beginning of the season. We said 17 to 19 range. I think I'm in the 15 to 17 range. Yeah, that's where I would come down on too. <laughs> Bond, I'll say this: they're at the, they're at the point in the season where like you need to win the games that you're supposed to win, which Temple has not done in recent years. So that in itself is, is not insignificant. But if you beat up on the USFs, the Tulane's of the world, the Tulsa issues of the world, like I think they should. By the time the, this comes out, people are going to know one way or the other if they beat Tulsa. But like, there's enough games. Where I'm like, they should win those games that like they can get close to it. But I think if they 
with the Caleb battle and with so many games being canceled and if they get to like 16 wins, it's still an accomplishment, but I'll say under. Final question to close things out here from Green Street Al from the message board. Any word on the rescheduling possibilities for the Drexel and Villanova games? Unlikely. You're calling yeah. it unlikely, Sam? Yeah, not – I mean, it could happen. If it's going to happen, there's there's two open, like, full weeks. Uh, one of them we're about to enter. But uh, I I would say not super likely. But I – yeah, what I heard was the only chance this really has is if a team that Drexel or Nova is supposed to play right now has like a COVID situation where all of a sudden on like a Thursday you realize they're not playing Saturday. Yeah, I heard the same thing. Will Temple ever play Villanova again? That's the bigger question is is next year, assuming, you know, Zelta Cron's not around and we're not dealing with COVID anymore, is the Nova game at Lea Corsa? Mm-hmm. I would think so because it was supposed to be at Lea Corsa Center last year and they were going to play it at the pavilion this year. So I think it just kind of keeps going. Yeah. yeah. Which I would hope, I would hope there's a crowd for that. Yep. That was the, that was the biggest crowd I've ever seen at the league course center that Sunday against Villanova. They were down like three at the half and then Colin got blown out. <laughs> yeah. Colin left the portion in the second half. Yes. Oh. I'll probably be uh, on like his eighth year of eligibility by the time they play. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, that'll do it for this week. Thank you for the mailbag questions. Thank you to Kyle for giving us the beautiful imagery of, of him battling a camel. I think Googled man versus camel. There's some, apparently it's a sport in Turkey. People oh. wrestle camels. You know where your next, uh, you know where your next vacation is, your next uh, globe trotting trip. Is. Yeah, I'm going to try to avoid, I'm going to avoid Turkey if at all possible. Uh, I don't want to <laughs> Enos canter it. Um, so <laughs> Stay stateside. Anyway, thanks. uh, Thanks, guys. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for listening again. And we will talk to you next week. Bye.